You're listening to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast with Chris and Garrett. Yes! Welcome! Hey, Chris! <laughs> hey, Garrett! How's it going? It's going great, man. It's a great night. It's fantastic. No problems with Zoom at all. I mean, what is this? No. None whatsoever. Whatsoever. None. <laughs> Well, I just did a crash course on on, on all the right moves. That's that's, that's what <laughs> you did. The high speed. I did a really fast. The like, close notes. Okay, okay. Let me say this: I've probably seen this movie probably a dozen times, if yes. not more. Yep. When I was probably the ages of I don't know, four, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Because it was on HBO all the time. It was on HBO all the time. That's how, because I definitely didn't see it at the theater. I can yeah. say that for a fact. And, so, but, it's, but it's probably been, I may have seen it once, maybe one time in the last 20-something years. So I was going to say the same thing. I um, So like you, um, when this came out on HBO, and I think it also was on Cinemax, it seemed like it bounced back and forth between those. Um was about the time that we got cable for the first time, my family. And of course, we got HBO and Cinemax because uh, that was what you did back then. Um, and like you, I, I feel like I saw this movie so many times. But I, as I was sitting down thinking about it, and, and when I watched it earlier this week, I think I've actually seen it all the way through, including this week's viewing, three times. All the other times I caught it, at one of two points in the movie. <laughs> the first one was the scene where Tom Cruise tells Craig T. Craig T. Nelson, you know, I didn't quit. You quit. We didn't quit. Yeah. You quit. Right. Uh, and then the other scene, uh, <laughs> which no surprise, uh, was the love scene between Leah Thompson and Tom oh. Cruise. Seemed like it always, if I turned to it, it was like on one of those. I may saw that scene maybe, maybe, maybe 86 times to be exact. <laughs> right, right. Right. Let me get the VCR. Let me record. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. I mean, I, I may recorded that on VC, you know, VCR, and I did it on the and I did it on the EP speed or whatever it was, the the, the best quality. That's right. nothing, <laughs> nothing but the best. Well, let me nothing tell you this. Uh, you know, I probably watched it tonight in the best the best quality I've ever seen it in because it's on my TV and probably HD. The best that I could yeah. do, and I was like, oh wow, okay, Lee Thompson, yes. Okay. Yeah, yes. um, yeah, but I, it's interesting because you know I posted this on Instagram about uh, about that whole scene. There was actually supposed to be two nude scenes, uh, but she didn't want to do them, and right. so Cruz talked the producers into dropping one of them. But for the second one, he's like, "Well, if she's going to have to get naked, I'm getting naked." And you know, there. Yeah, you I go. thought that was that was. I mean, I mean, that's actually kind of a in a in a weird kind of way. That's a very stand up move by him. It well, was radical. Nude. By yes. by by those standards back in the eighties, I mean, rarely did you have a male star being like, "Yeah, if she's got to be naked, I'm going to be naked." Like, right. So kind of like solidarity with her, and I know that the interview that I I read with her, like she she commented about how how stand up he was and how he actually was very protective of her, just you know looking out for her, um, and he was she was just saying you know he was a young actor. Like he wasn't the Tom Cruise of today. Right. So Where's the pull that, that he's got now. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the, the shape of things to come, but I did find it interesting. And I, I also mentioned this on Instagram. So 
Lucille Ball's production company produced this, although they downplayed her involvement. Like they really try to downplay, oh yeah, Lucille Ball produced this because it was R-rated, you know, it had some, you know, sex scenes, it had some explicit language. You oh, know, yeah. but the, th- but the thing about that, what's you know, they didn't want to tarnish her public image, but like in the years since her passing, you read about her life, or if you have spent any time learning about her life, it was not tamed by any. <laughs> any, any, yeah. Stage. So she was, yeah, I mean, was it, it was just more about image than it was about actually yeah. like reality. I mean, she, exactly. she probably was like very glad to do it and, and probably yeah. was supportive of the project. She just, you know, but yeah, trying to keep up with the, yeah, the image. yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say about her that I've always heard is just how savvy she was, though, because you think about it, she was like one of the first, like, really powerful women in Hollywood. Like, I mean, she really had a lot of control over you know what she did and i mean and then when she like bought or when she had the controlling interest in desilu which was the production company she started with her husband her ex-husband um i mean she her production company was responsible for star trek getting on tv yeah or mission impossible so in another way tom cruise there's a tom cruise connection yeah she greenlit and i remember the story I think this was both Star Trek and Mission Impossible. The producers, the different producers on that show, when they they talked about when they met with Lucille Ball, her response was like, you know, I don't get what this stuff is, but I think that we've got something here. Let's give it a shot. So she never really was like into Star Trek or into Mission Impossible, but she just kind of had that instinct that like, I think this might be something. So um I think that definitely paid off uh, for her in a lot of ways. She but. kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, like Dolly, you know, you know, like I think about Dolly Parton and yeah. I mean, and obviously there, there are two different, there are two different styles and whatever, yeah. but at the same time, it's like Dolly Parton, is, she is a formidable business woman. Oh yeah. She's sad. She may, she may play a part and she may, and I think Lucy, uh, the Lucille did the same thing with Lucy. Mm-hmm. She played a role and she played it well. And she kept that, that, that lovable persona to the public but yeah. i think she was very and i hate to use the word ruthless because because it makes it it makes it sound like that they're kind of like conniving and that isn't i don't think that's that's fair uh for, right. you know for, for for you know in that way but i think the, my point is just formal to formal to maybe the best word i can come up with but women who just who were great business mind great mm-hmm. savvy business savvy and so it sounds like lucille had that same that that dolly is just playing now because i mean if you look at the in the in the dollies thing, Dolly's got her hand in so many different things. Oh, absolutely! It's so much money, it's like it's in it's insane. So I think yeah. that's a very yeah. But it's you know I, I can't remember when what year it was that Lucy passed away, but I know at this point you know we're in the early '80s when this movie was being produced and released. Um, I think she had a little bit of gas left in the tank. I think she did one more sitcom during the 80s. I think it was Life with Lucy. That didn't do too well. Um, but She died think, in 89. I just that's right. Okay, yeah. 80, I knew it was in, sometime in the 80s. So, um, but from what I understand, even up until the end, I mean, she was pretty active in, and I think her production company, it was largely her and her second husband, whose name escapes me, uh that kind of ran things and uh 
you know, it's, it, it is interesting. I was trying to do some research and like trying to find if there was any kind of, uh, you know, press or any kind of like interview that involved Tom Cruise and Lucille Ball or Tom talking about Lucy. And I couldn't really find anything, but um, it's kind of, you know, when you look at the timing of this movie, I mean, you know, Tom Cruise had done a few films prior to 1983, mostly small roles, like he did Taps. Uh, he had like a really brief role in Endless Love and um, and The Outsiders, of course. Those all came before, but um, 83 was a huge year because, you know, Risky Business came out like in August and then All the Right Moves came out in October. And so, I mean, he... Tom Cruise was definitely striking while it was hot in 1983 and really was kind of taken off with this. And uh, it it was because we mentioned like at the beginning, how this was always on HBO and, you know, how we just got to see it so many times, you know, this is kind of like when I think about early Tom Cruise, when I think about like my first memories of him, it's actually this movie more than it is risky business, even though I've seen risky business many times, well, same it, way. It's, yeah, it's like taps too. I saw taps, but yeah, this, taps. this, but this is probably this is the this is probably, yeah, yeah. That's what I think of as well. I mean, I seem to recall, and I'd love. I need to, maybe I need to dig a little deeper into the uh, kind of the HBO scheduling or whatever. But I, I want to say there was one night where it was like a Tom Cruise double feature. Um, like a weekend, like a Friday night or Saturday night thing where it was all the right moves and then risky business, or maybe it was reverse that. Um, but like, I remember kind of like one night where it was like, you know, one right after the other. So, um, but this movie is the one that I, I think about whenever I think about early Tom Cruise, just because, you know, he, he's at the beginning of his career. And, and I think also because it was a high school setting, because it came out at about the right time when I was in, I think it was in junior high when this came out originally. But by the time I saw it on cable, I think I was about to go go in high school, probably. Yeah. You're close. Yeah. And which, you know, is a segue to something I observed watching it again this week is they really nailed the look of, of the high school, the, like the football uniforms, the band, marching band uniforms, like the school itself and just, just the, the style, like the clothing and the, like, it definitely captures that kind of early eighties look and feel. Uh, so as I was watching it, it's just like, wow, man, it's like, I remember like the football players in my high school, all wearing their, you know, their letter jackets, you know, like yep. he did and just, you know, the swagger of, of those guys. Uh, back then, um, get to wear the jersey on game day, and that's, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the pep, the pep rally was huge. Oh, the pep rallies, yeah. The pep rally scene was like that was massive. You yeah, know, with that balcony yeah. they had in that movie. And, and listeners probably, I mean, we've mentioned this in the past, but you and I went to the same high school, so we, you know, we did. You know, I remember. Even though, even though I really feel like that this is something, even though we had a great football team uh, for many years at our high yeah. school. But yeah. I still feel like that when it comes to pep rallies and stuff, I still feel like that junior high did it. That junior high was much. Hey, Carrington. Yeah. People, people got more into pep rallies then than we than we did. That's true. In high school, and I don't yeah. know, but and, and we had a good football team, and we had a good turnout for football games. It wasn't yeah. like 
So when people talk about this, you know, you and I went to a strong football school where Friday night lights was was very much very real. Much. The I mean the fans, the the people, the the uh, the community, the former former people, former players, family, parents. The band was big. I mean, everything was like. I mean, you had the whole setting. So I mean, so so watching this, I yeah, I, I'm with you. I totally. You get the you got the total feel of what it was like. Yeah. In that, but that pep rally stuff though, I I I, I feel like Carrington, and that's a shout out to to the go uh, Carrington Cougars. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like the Carrington pep rallies were much more uh, villagent than yeah. than, it, than than our Northern Knights. But yeah, yeah, there was definitely. It's you. You're absolutely right. My experience was, I remember being really excited about the pep rallies at Carrington, but by the time I got yeah. to Northern, I mean. I, I sometimes remember, I don't know how I pulled this off, but I think I actually ditched some pep rallies because I was just like, I got no interest in going and they weren't checking attendance or anything. So I think like me and maybe some of the other guys that hung out like Jeff and, and others, like we may have just like hung out somewhere in the school, you know, try to avoid being detected that, oh, why aren't you at the pep rally kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, but, even, even going to them, it was just always felt like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, even though, I mean, I would say, and this is partly because being in the marching band for the two years, two of the three years that I was at Northern, uh, you know, it was kind of, I think that was part of the thing. It just, it felt like work because usually we were playing at the pep rallies as well as the games. And so, but still it's like, I always looked forward. I mean, part of the reason why I got into marching band was because it's like, well, I get to see the games. I don't have to pay to go. I mean, it's like, I'm going to be there to see the game. Uh, and so that's that was kind of an added benefit. It's like, oh, I've got to play an instrument while while I'm sitting in the bleachers, or if I'm on the field at halftime. Was there a Lee Thompson in your band? Can I? Can we? Oh, there are quite a few Leah Thompsons. In oh, that's mm. yeah, yeah. And that's you know, we've talked about Leah Thompson before because you know, obviously we're we're hardcore fans of Back to the Future. Um, Some kind of wonderful. Always, we've always thought, you know, she's definitely one of the 80s babes but i gotta say watching this movie again like i mean it's it's like i fell in love with her again just because she's so one i mean she's beautiful you know and and seeing her that young in the movie i mean she definitely reminds me of girls from that time period like she capped she nailed the whole look um and especially as a band member but the thing that really surprised me in watching this is just how good she is in it. Like even at that age, it's like, this was before back to the future. Mm-hmm. It's really before she took off. It's like, she's really good. Like she, she is really good. And and it really got me thinking that she and Tom Cruise should have done more movies together. I think that they were, they were really good. Like totally believed that they were a high school couple and you know, just the little touches, you know, where it was the prom photo or just the things that they do in the movies. It's like, yeah, that they're definitely like a high school couple. Yeah, she can play his mom now in a movie. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm just I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 she really does. She's she's a very attractive lady. Oh, she's um, beautiful. Yeah. And it's like, and, you know, I was just thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, if she was the if she was the the co-star in Top Gun. You could it it's it's they yeah. may have invited her back possibility. I, yeah. I mean, I know they may still went with a different a different a, a little bit younger actress, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying it's like she's kept her she's she's still very attractive. She kept her figure, everything 
it's like so i'm not yeah. you know so, so so i'm kidding about her bit playing her mom playing this mom but um uh, but no she's still she's still a very attractive lady so and she's still yeah. she does she's still adding and doing, doing, doing a lot of directing oh yeah uh, which is really cool you know and then also she has a really awesome connection with another filmmaker that we love john hughes you know having been in some yeah. kind of wonderful and then she wound up marrying howard deutsch which and, is awesome you know yeah so uh definitely leah thompson's one of our favorites i would say you know uh, but it's kind of funny it's like i could i could see her some of her style her acting style i could i, I catched i was mm. watching this and i was like like that scene when she when she um tells keith in some kind of wonderful she goes she gives him back the earrings she says she goes, you remember earlier when I said I'd rather be somebody, I'd rather be alone for the right reasons than be with somebody for the wrong reasons. And she gives him his rings and she she gives him this kind of like this empowering speech or whatever, you know, yeah. type deal. I, I saw that in, with, with, with her whole interaction with Tom Cruise when they're having this little fight, whatever. I can, I, man, I, I could hear her voice inflection. Everything was, it was very similar. So I'm like going, I could, I could, I could sense what she was you know, like part of her style, but how she brings it and whatever. Yeah. It was cool. It was really neat to see. The other thing, you know, talking about that, and I totally agree with you, is, you know, there's some scenes in All the Right Moves where, especially at the beginning, where Tom Cruise's character, Steph, he's not the greatest boyfriend to her. I mean, he kind of says and does some things. And, of course, like in the, the scene where they're in the car making out, you know, of course, you know, not trying to put like a present day lens or spin on things, but like, I mean, she's basically telling him no repeatedly and he's still just kind of, you know, going at he's it. Pushing, and just, yeah. He's pushing, he's, he's pushing yeah. the boundaries. Yeah. And, uh, but even before that, it's just some of the things that he does in the movie, which <clears throat> I don't think I noticed it growing up, but watching it now as an adult, it, it was kind of like, took me back. But at the same time, it's like, no, this is actually makes sense. I mean, he's he's kind of starting out. He's a cocky football player. Correct. Thinks that he's got everything under control, but then everything spins out of control, and he changes. He grows through it. And so that yeah, by he, the yeah, he has movie, a metamorphosis experience. For exactly. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. And so <clears throat> I gotta say, I was, you know, I went into watching this kind of from a nostalgic perspective, like we we do with so many of these movies, but watching it again, um, just really appreciating that, like. For his fourth or fifth film, I mean, this really being the first one where he's got the lead, um, he really, I was impressed with his performance. Like, it, it's, it would be really easy. And I think a lot of critics did this when the movie came out. They were very dismissive of it. They were like, oh, it's, it's you know, they, they kind of called it cliched and, and kind of stereotype, you know, stereotypical in terms of, you know, the things in the movie, the portrayal and so forth. But I don't know. I feel like, no, he gave a really good performance. I mean, this is a character who grows over the course of the film so that when you get to the ending, you know, which is obviously a happy ending uh, for him and for her, uh, that uh, it definitely felt earned. It felt like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, <clears throat> so. But yeah, there they was gave one... some time to develop his character. Which exactly. Is, which a lot yeah. of movies, they don't, they, don't sh they don't show you the middle. They kind of go. This and then the end is like, oh, he's changed. He's better. Right. He's he's you know, but like, right. well, how did he get better? It's like, yeah, yeah they actually flushed out his character up to get the yeah. right terms. 
definitely. But there was one thing that um, that jumped out at me. And when it did, it's like, why didn't I you know, catch this when I was watching it when it first came out on cable? And I'd be curious to get your opinion, because since you just did the, the speed viewing, but for a for a high school football movie, there's not a lot of football in the movie. Like there's only one game in the like right in the middle of the movie, you kind of pivotal, you know, game. But surprisingly, there's no more football play in the movie. True. Good point. Now, now granted, because there's some there's something that happens in the story. And, you know, part of me is like, you know, this movie is going to be what, 40. Is it the 40th anniversary this year? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, you know, so I'm kind of like in terms of spoilers, it's like if you haven't seen it by now, but yeah, I do I realize there are go some ahead and, yeah, go ahead and say it. But uh but you know, obviously half about halfway through the movie or so, Tom Cruise gets kicked off the team because he yells at the, the coach and kind of butts heads with the Craig T. Nelson's uh coach Nickerson. Um but it took me back, it just kind of because like whenever I would think about this movie in the years since watching, I'm like, oh yeah, it's a high school football movie. And it is, but it's like there's not a lot of football in it. I mean, you see no, some practice right. and then you see one game. But you know, again, I think it's just it's like for all the critics saying that, oh, it's like a you know, your stereotypical high school football movie. I'm like, well, actually, no, it's like there's not a lot of football in it. It's really focusing on the characters and the impact of making yes. bad choices and what happens. It's not like um, Remember the Titans where you have like it's constantly showing football. Like you're seeing the, the, the progression of games and yeah, and then leading up to a championship game and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yes, and I can almost I can almost see how this could have gone the cliche route by like something happens and coach needs Tom to come play the game because they've lost you know, some players or like, he's got, he's the secret weapon. We got to bring him back in. So there's like the last part of the movie is this, you know, the, the last game of the season and it's an all or nothing. And he comes in and he has the winning touchdown or something like that. That would have been cliche. cliche. So I do think it's interesting that they just kind of take it off the table, like halfway through and they're like, okay, he's not playing anymore. What does he do? Right. You know? Yeah. And so, there, one one the, thing I that now one thing I did notice when yeah. they did show the football game, it was very it was actually very it was actually very entertaining in the sense of like I mean like sometimes you watch you watch some sports things and like like the director has no idea how to film like to make it like like yeah. what just happened you know you're kind of like watch it it looks kind of blurred because it's just like a it's a play and you don't really yeah, see what happened but yeah. like there's one scene where it shows the football come spiraling it was a pretty pass i mean oh like, yeah i know the one you're talking about and the guy caught, catches it. It, it it mean that was beautifully center cinematography done and i think i read that the guy who did raging bull was a cinematographer on this movie as well so it's understandable that 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 that, that the game was filmed not only accurately but correctly in the sense of that it's visually it was visually pleasing to the audience and you and you followed what was going on and i i mean I was watching the watching the clock. I was watching the game, and they did a great job of like showing showing it get to like first downs and about the end of the game about how how it's so close, and then you know like the fumble at the end, all that kind of stuff. Everything was just I have to admit it was like you were kind of like you were 
it grabbed the viewer's attention for sure. And it was it was it was well done for a sports movie. And I've seen sports movies that so, really had no idea what they were doing when it so comes the to actual that. cinematographer for this movie was uh Jan De, or Jan or Jan or Jean or I forget how you pronounce his name, Jan DeBont, who directed Twister, was a cinematographer for Speed. Oh, was that the dude? Okay, all right. Yeah. And so who's yeah, the Raging I, Bull guy? Because there's right there, there's a Raging Bull guy that was that was associated with this film. Um, I, I, I know I read that. It yeah. was one of the reasons why it's one of the reasons why Tom Cruise wanted to do this movie because the Raging Bull guy was was associated with this movie. That's a good question. Um, because I was I was looking at some trivia stuff and I know that was they said that Tom Cruise had seen like Raging Bull like ten times and said that was one of the reasons. Michael why. Chapman was the cinematographer who directed all the right moves. Maybe okay, so he was a okay. That was he that started guy. out. He's he a cinematographer. He did Speed later, which yeah. that makes sense. I mean, if he did such a good job on this cinematography, then he goes direct Speed. I mean, Speed is, you know, you people may be. You know, people, you know, I mean, Speed may not be like an Oscar winner, but Speed was a very entertaining movie. And oh, it still, yeah, it's it still holds up. Entertaining movie. So, yeah, I think uh, Jan DeBont definitely his one of his specialties was action sequences in terms of, you know, cinematography. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you. The, the football scenes in this movie, both the practice and the actual game, uh, Granted, I didn't play football in high school, but I was in pretty close proximity to it just from the nature of being in marching band. They really captured the feel of the games um, just with the people and the crowds, the band, the players. And like you said, that I knew exactly what you were talking about. That one shot with that pass. I remember thinking like, man, that's a sweet pass. <laughs> and um so yeah, so yeah, you're absolutely right. So um Michael Chapman, who was the cinematographer for Raging Bull, this was, I believe, his first directorial okay, his directorial debut with this movie, uh, with all all the right moves. And um yeah, I think I think cinematographers, my experience has been cinematographers usually make really good directors, uh because they just they're good at the camera. They're good at knowing what looks good. They, they know how to set things up. And then if you have somebody who has that ability, plus the ability to tell a story, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's a great combination. I think another part that's not even, it's, you, you could say that the town was another member of the cast, even though we could talk oh, about this, this guy, this has got a great cast that we could talk about some of the people in this movie We and we will, but it's just how I mean, and that's part of the like of setting this whole movie up was a steel town. It shows it shows, you know, like some of the, you know, some of the houses on the streets and about how close they were about the, it shows the, the steel mill. It shows, you know, like, you know, like the mountainsides and then it shows the football fields. I mean, everything was done like in a almost. Almost the way Hoosers, if you know, like you remember Hoosers and how it showed oh, yeah. the countryside and it showed Indiana. I feel like this movie did the same thing for Pennsylvania in the steel mills of that, of that area. I feel like it just captures. It does a great job of capturing the the essence of the people and just like how you said about the the crowds and whatever. I I, I think it picks up on who the people are. The blue collar workers. They are hardworking people. And their and the desire to to like maybe get out of that town and do something other than work in the steel mill. Absolutely, and yeah. just in the love for the for Friday night football 
Yeah. In football, of course. I mean, yeah. Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, I mean, even though it's closer to Pittsburgh, but I mean, I mean, I mean, Pennsylvania is a that's a football, that's a football state. I mean, absolutely. Penn State, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's that's a football, that's a football state for sure. Yeah. Now you hit on uh, something that I picked up on as well, watching this again, that the movie does really capture the feel of this small town. And you can totally understand why Tom Cruise's character wants to get out. Like, you know, just the whole thing about, you know, his dad works in the steel mill, his brother, you know, his granddad. I mean, it's like kind of a generational thing. And you really, through his performance and then through all those little touches of seeing the town, the people there, you totally get why he wants to get out. And and, uh, and I think it's part of like, even though, I mean, like his dad seems like a real stand-up guy, as does his brother. And that's something I wanted to mention too. Uh, and I'll touch on that in just a minute. Um, you you totally get why he wants to get out. Um, and and even like the scenes with Leah Thompson and Coach Nickerson's wife, where she's trying to put in a good word for Steph, and you know, like, you know, he he made a mistake, but you know, he he really needs this and and all that. Like there's definitely this sense of like, even though some of these characters have very, some of the kind of secondary characters have very small or very short scenes. They're not there as prominently as Cruz and, uh, and Thompson, like they really do add to the story and and they're not like two dimensional characters. Like they really, you really buy into like, yeah, this is the football coach's wife. And this is the guy who, you know, has loved the town, loves the steel mill, loves the football, you know, and is really passionate about it. And when this coach calls, you know, when he thinks that the coach screwed up the game and caused him to lose, you know, he rallies all these other good old boys in the town to go and like really trash the coach's house and do all these horrible things to his car and his in the front of his house. It's like you really, they're all believable. They're not just like these one-dimensional characters or two-dimensional characters like they really are like yeah and it, it just adds to the whole yeah i can totally see why why steph wants to get out of this town uh and especially and this was another thing i thought was cool for the character so like yes he's a great football player he has the potential to get a full ride at universities because he's a really great player but he doesn't want to play football as a career like he wants to be an engineer like he has right a, which is cool he has, That's a, neat. He has a plan you know, and so that was kind of cool because sometimes with these stories, it's like, oh, he wants to play, you know, the NFL, you know, and he wants to be like a you know big old football player making lots of cash. It's like, no, it's just an ends to reach the you know the means, means of like, yeah. I want to be an engineer, and um, you know, so I don't have to come back to this town and work in the steel mill. Um, so yeah. yeah, there's a great line. He said something. He goes, "We've been making, we've been making this stuff for so long. It's I want to do something with the finished product besides just making it or something yeah. like that." Or something. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good line. I know like what you're I, I wanted to mention just because I think you know he passed away um, some time back, and that's uh, Chris Penn, uh, Sean Penn's brother, who played 2007, uh, maybe something like that. It was it's been a while ago. Yeah, he plays uh, Brian, um, Steph's best friend. Um, it was a very young Chris. 2006, but, sorry. Was... Yeah, um, really great actor. Uh, and I think he's really great in this role. Um, you know, just here's a guy who 
he's a cautionary tale in that, you know, he had a lot of, he was going to go to USC on a scholarship. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. And he gets his girlfriend pregnant and then that all ends. And I'm curious to know your thoughts because I feel like back then, back in the eighties in that kind of situation, it plays out exactly like it does in the movie. It's like, well, he gets her pregnant. Oh, he's going to marry her, you know? And then he, after high school, he's going to get a job because he's got a family now. But I feel like in this day and age, if that happened, it would be like, oh no, you're going to school. You're just going to, you know, you're going to be a dad, but you're going to right. school and play football, you know? Um, That's so, happened at Duke. I mean, yeah. I think Jason Tatum had a, had a child when he was at Duke. That's right. I think, um, Trey, um, what's our point guard's name? That, um, his um, brother, Ty, uh, Trey Jones, I think it's that ties his brother. Yeah, Jones, they both, Jones. Yes, yes, I think, I think he got married while he was uh, while he was still a, a student. I think, I think his, think his, 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 his wife, his wife had a, ended up having a baby, I think, while she was at Duke. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it happens. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean, so, so these guys don't just quote, quote, quit. Yeah. sports and go you know get a job and do that i mean they can actually continue yeah yeah yeah, but, so, yeah. But, but at that time that's exactly what would have happened I, I totally agree with you i mean yeah there's probably you know like tom cruise makes the point he goes hey they got dorms and stuff like that that was probably it probably was just starting kind of but yeah. like but for a pennsylvania kid who's in the coal mine town it's like you know, I'm 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 sure the pressure from from his family, her family is like, do the right thing. You know, you know, you marry her, you yeah. get a job, and yeah. you, know, you got a family, support, support the family, yeah. and yeah, yeah. So I, I just uh, watching that, I had that thought, like, well, in this day and age, that would probably be a totally different outcome uh, for him and his his emerging family. Um, there was something that you said. Uh, just a moment ago that made me think uh, about something I, I just in watching the movie this week and and kind of doing the research and just how much of this film in some ways it's like a time capsule almost you know like we've talked about the look and feel of things and how it really captured a lot of like high school um, the kind of the high school of of the early 80s kind of how things looked especially in um, I mean, where we grew up is nothing like the steel mill town, I would say. I mean, I think we were, Durham growing up, I mean, it was definitely like we weren't, you know, we weren't like company, like coming from company families, like where your dad and my dad works in the factory or whatever. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, more, I would say, upper middle class than, than, than say, the way things are portrayed in this movie. But um, one of the things, so watching the movie, um, the actor who plays uh tom cruise's dad charles uh i think it's siafi yeah. and his brother gary graham so these are two actors that uh had not done a lot of movies i think in their career they were mostly television actors and i know charles um who plays pop uh he was in a lot of television in the 70s and 80s in fact i remember him distinctly uh playing a villain in an episode of wonder woman Oh, uh, he played like some military uh, guy who had gone rogue or something and was like, you know, some sort of threat to be dealt with. But uh, was surprised that, you know, he's in a few scenes. He's in that scene in the bar where he pops that guy for making a comment about stuff. 
But I was surprised there wasn't more between him and Cruz, like scenes between them. You know, I mean, there there were some, but not. And I just kind of felt like if there was anything watching this where I felt like there should have been more is like more scenes with his family. I felt like that was something that, and it may be the same thing. It may be that there were scenes shot and they just got cut for time, but it did feel like if, you know, it might've added some more complexity or more dramatic, you know, interest if there had been, you know, some sort of things, because you kind of get a sense at the beginning that his dad and his brother are kind of, put off by his cockiness, especially when the recruiter comes over to the house and he's just kind of dismissive. He's like, well, you know, I'm considering other schools as well. And uh, and that was the great Terry O'Quinn. Exactly. I know. I know. So excited to see him of silver bullet and lost. Yeah, There's two silver bullet references in this movie. That Mm -hmm. was, that was, he was one of them. Yes. Yeah. Now what was the other one? It was, it was, it was Bosco. The, the, James Bob, James Bafco. Yes, he, yes, yes. He's, he's milked. Yeah. He's milked. He's like, you know. Yes. That Dane crippled. He just wish they all, you know. <laughs> he's. Hurts my parts. Hurts my parts. <laughs> he was. Get him. Get him. He's like, you know. Oh, milk, man. It's like yeah. milk. I mean, it, it dude. Okay. I, for, for anybody who, who, who loves Silver Bullet. There's no doubt that whoever like cast him in Silver Bullet went like, oh, watch this movie and went, he is our milk, he's our milk, he's our milk. Yeah. This guy, I mean, he's like, man, talk about playing sleazy and whatever. Oh, that dude, he he played that great. perfect in this movie, and he played it perfect great, in Silver Bullet. Great actor. Um, yeah. So yeah. his first his first film role is actually one of my all time favorite horror movies, uh, Dawn of the Dead from uh, 1978 he plays a cop named Wooly, and in the movie he he's like the scene is uh the police is trying to they're they're having a shootout with these gang members in this tenement uh i think in in philly because they're the cops believe that the people in there are like harboring zombies you know that the people their loved ones who've died They've got them in there, kind of kept secure. And so the, you know, police are trying to go in and clear the dead people out. And he plays a, a cop, a SWAT member who just loses his mess and starts like opening fire on everybody. And I remember when I saw all the right moves, I immediately recognized him. I was like, "Hey, that's Wooly!" And then with Silver Bullet, I'm like, "Hey, that's Wooly!" So that's Wooly again. I've forgotten until you mentioned it that he was in it, but uh, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's definitely uh, a nice silver bullet connection. Yeah, there there's two. Him. I mean, seriously, that's like it's always like two, a two year difference between the movies. Yeah. I mean, um, and for him, for him, he did he went from that to to silver bullet. That's what he. I mean, there's yeah. nothing else in his. Now, I mean, he may have done he may have done theater or something, but he but he didn't do another movie in between doing all the right moves. And yeah, going to silver bullet. So well, it's kind of neat to see. He and I can see he, plays, he plays the same kind of character. I mean, yeah. he's kind of. Uh, well, I think it's kind of funny to begin it though. He, he's kind of like he's he's friendly to he's he's friendly to Tom Cruise. He gives him a ride to school, and and, and I don't understand his character in that movie. Like this this Bosco, I don't Bosco, I don't understand his character very much because like he's at the he, like he, he gives him a ride to school, 
And then he's like going down the hallway. He's giving he's giving kids like high fives and whatever. Yeah. And then he's at the pep rally and he's dressed up in a suit and he gives like a speech. So I'm like going, is he the principal? But yeah, then he's, but then he's like at, at the t- he, he's not at the game. He's at the pool hall and then he's and he said, well, not for long. You know, he's don't and he, and he you know and he yeah. picks up Tom Cruise on the road and they in a trash in the coach's house. So I'm kind of like. Yeah, my my thought. So originally, like you, I thought, well, is he the principal? And then I thought he was a teacher. And then I was just kind of like, is he the janitor? Like, what? What is? Yeah, he? what? What you is know? he? Or is he just like some creepy dude who? Because I guess back in the eighties, I mean, maybe you could just walk into the school <laughs> or something. But but yeah, that could, is yeah. a question. That is a question. Like. Who is Willie? Or not Willie? Who's Bosco? And uh, and and why is he? Why is he in the school? And what is his? What is his role? The only thing I could think is that um, that maybe he, you know, obviously he probably went to the high school. He probably played football there, and just is, you know, he's kind of like the future version of Brian or something, where it's like, you know, he never left town. You know, he's kind of trying to relive his glory days of high school football. And but yeah, I, I'm with you. When I see him and when I saw the scene where he's walking in the halls, I was thinking, okay, wait a minute, is he a principal? Is he a teacher? Yeah. Then I just thought, is he the janitor? But then like when he's given the the you know, kind of the speech and he's like, you know, in the pool, I'm just like, I'm confused. I don't know who this cat is. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I was like, I think I missed something there. I don't, yeah. and maybe I was. And, and the other thing with Bosco, and I also had the thought, like, is he one of the football players dads? But then it's like, no, because, you know, he gives a ride to Tom Cruise uh, in the movie, early in the movie. And then in the scene where they go to mess up coach Nickerson's house and car, uh, it's just like, yeah, who? What is? Who is this guy? Like, what is his? What is his role with you know the school with the kids, you know, and everything? And it's just not. I I, I get the feeling that there probably is something on the cutting room floor that would have explained that. Could it uh, be because you remember at the end of the movie, you know, after you know when when Coach has him, you know, it's offering the you know the scholarship. And, and everybody's saying, sign it, sign it. And he ends up taking his hat off and he throws it to some guy and he goes, you tell Bosco I'll be seeing him around or something. And then that's kind of like, almost like, yeah, kind of. And you're kind of like, well, who's that dude? But he's probably yeah. one of the dudes that was one of with Bosco or something. But you're probably yeah. right. There's something that's probably edited out. Yeah. So you talking about the the ending and the coach coming to uh, to Steph and asking him to play at Cal Poly. So I'm probably going to say something that fans of this movie will would put them up in arms, but I, so this was Craig T. Nelson's first, one of his first films. Was it his first, his uh, first like major? I'm not sure of it. Um, and I, and I love Craig T. Nelson. I think he's a great actor. I think this was probably an issue with the script and or the directing, but I felt like, yes, they established that he's a tough coach, but he's also got his own dream of coaching a college football team. And then he's kind of on the edge of his seat because he's waiting on the job offer for to coach Cal Poly football. And 
I th- like they were setting it up that like in some ways both he and Steph have a dream to get out of this town. Correct. Um, but I don't know the scene where Steph gets kicked off the team. Even when I saw it back in the eighties, I mean it's it's a powerful scene because you know you're like, wait a minute, he just kicked him off the team. Like what? You know, and, and yeah. it definitely is you know kind of the conflict you know sparked off in the story of like okay Steph can't go to college now because he's not playing football anymore but it just felt like I was expecting more conflict between the coach and Steph I mean and they do have scenes together after that scene where he kicks him off the team but I don't know I just felt like there needed to be there was something missing more conflict so that when they get to that final scene where he shows back up and he's like, look, you know, I, I'm giving you an opportunity. Here's a full ride to Cal Poly. And it's, you know, engineering school extraordinaire and, uh, you know, and everything. It just kind of felt it felt a little contrived. I don't know. It just seemed like, oh, all of a sudden he just magically shows up at the end. He got his job and now he's going to make your dream come true. It just seemed a little, little convenient. Um, and I think it it might have felt more believable or more, I don't know, have more impact if it if there had been more between Steph and Coach Nickerson, like just more of their relationship, like and even showing what it was like. I mean, you see how he treats his players, but it would have been kind of cool if maybe you see that Nickerson really has a not a soft spot for for Steph but he he's like he's a good player he's my best player I mean he is like not only is he good at what he does he has a heart for it and really see that he has like he's got his eye on Steph but when things go south and he's kind of like blaming the players you know and and kind of like not accepting his blame or his role in you know how he coached I don't know. It just would have been kind of interesting to see that maybe even Steph kind of looks up to coach Nickerson that like he reveres him because he's like, he's a great coach. You know, he's helping make my dream potentially come true. Um, I just felt like there was something missing there. And again, I don't know if it was just, they, maybe there's scenes that were cut. uh, But that's the one thing about this movie, watching it again. It's like, I feel like there was just something, a little something missing there. Maybe if there'd been a little bit more, about their relationship and kind of showing the evolution of where they were and then how they their relationships broken and how they how Steph deals with it, how the coach deals with it so that when he shows up at the end it feels more like he's not just coming to him with an offer he's coming to apologize even though I know he does apologize and there is a scene where they're out in the street yeah before the ending it just felt like Kind like, of rushed that part. Like the skeleton of the relationship, I just wanted to see more on that skeleton to to really make it more have more impact at the end. I uh, feel like they had to do that. Like something had to give. You know, what I'm saying I feel yeah. like they they only had a certain amount of time. They're probably trying to keep it in the, the the you know the running time a certain amount of time. Probably. And so I feel like you know like the praise of that we you know of what we say of. They show Tom Cruise's character develop and, you know, and, and not rush him. Yeah. You know, something had to give. But I have to admit, I, I totally agree with you because because you're totally right. It, it does seem a little bit like doesn't a little just a little discord there. But yeah. I think what they in, instead what they gave us was that piece that you mentioned earlier was when Leah Thompson um, 
was walking with the coach's wife. And that's a powerful scene. It is. And, and, and to have that, I think actually kind of like kind of sets up that. And it's cool that, 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 that in, did you catch this? That she talks about her her high school boyfriend and said, "What happened to him?" And he and she said, "Well, he went to NC. Oh no, no. She says she, she, she says um, she, she said I went to NC State and I end up and I end up meet, uh, and I end up being coach at NC State. And I was like, yeah. NC State reference. I was yep. like, I picked up on that too. Yep, that was cool. That was neat. Um, yeah, but I think that's what we got instead. I I mean, I really feel like they I gave us that, right. and they gave us that street scene." you know, that you mentioned, you know, where he goes in and he apologizes to his, to his wife, doesn't say anything to the coach, just said, Hey, I was there. I apologize. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have, yeah. I shouldn't have been a part of that, but I was. And I just want to tell yeah. you that. And he walks out and then they have a, a little, a little scene there in the street. Yeah. And then, and then it, and then it goes to the end of the movie, you know, yeah. kind of like, that's kind of what we get. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you, you mentioned something that I'm, I'm glad you mentioned because I, I think it's a great moment is, when Steph goes to the restaurant, he apologizes to coach's wife. Like, you know, it it's it it was a very genuine, like I I give credit to Cruz in his performance that it it feels very believable that like there's there's some ego, there's some pride there that like he's not looking at coach Nickerson he's going to the the missus and apologizing, basically saying to her, you know, what he tried to say to coach previously in the movie, but coach wasn't listening to any of it, but he's kind of like, well, if you know, you won't listen to me, I'm going to speak to your wife and be, you know, be sincere. Right. Um, I'll be the bigger man. Funny. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I watching this movie again, uh, you know, as I was like putting together the lineup for movies to cover this year on the podcast, this is one that had kind of been in the back of my mind because as I mentioned, it's, it's one that kind of pops to mind when I think of early Tom Cruise movies, um, at least neck and neck with risky business. But what I like about this role over his role in risky business is that I really feel like this is some solid acting on his part. Risky business is great. And we'll be talking about that next week. And I think he gives a great performance. That performance is a little more comedic. Yes. Cruz is great at. I mean, Cruz can do comedy, definitely, um, as evidenced by Risky Business and Jerry Maguire and, and others. Um, but to me, All the Right Moves really shows off his acting ability. And uh, and I, and so um, I'm glad we have this chance to talk about the movie and, and just uh, kind of the impact in just you know it's funny watching it now like you know after just last year we saw top gun maverick yeah. and just to see how far he's come and uh you know I, i'll be the first to say i over the years i haven't always been the biggest tom cruise fan especially with some of his behind the scenes drama uh but you cannot deny watching this movie that yeah he's a really good actor i mean he definitely is committed to uh, his roles and he really gives it 200%. You can totally see that in this movie. Uh, little postscript on this movie. So, as I was doing research, I came across a really interesting um, note. So, a few years back, uh, and I, I should have looked it up, but I didn't. Um, you know, Tom Cruise did a couple of movies with Steven Spielberg, 
one of those movies was War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. And Tom Cruise, when he was, so the, the part he plays in that, it's set in a kind of a small town. Tom Cruise is a, is a guy, he's a dad, he's divorced from his wife, and he's got shared custody with his kids. You get the sense that he's not really successful, <laughs> hasn't been successful in his life. And I think there was an allusion to the fact that he was a high school player in high school or high school football player but just kind of nothing ever came of his life and in an interview tom cruise said that he based the character in war of the worlds off of steph in all the right moves if he hadn't gone to college which i thought was kind of cool that he that cruise was would say like yeah i'm, I'm essentially revisiting a character even though they're two totally different characters i'm kind of looking at this this character in war of the worlds as what if Steph didn't go to college, wound up staying in this dead-end town, working a dead-end job, had a family, and then this alien invasion takes place? Yeah, so, uh, so that's if, cool. Yeah, if you kind of want to see what happened to Steph in some sort of alternate universe kind of thing, uh, I think that's what Cruz was going for. That's, yeah, that's that's a neat that's a neat reference there. Yeah, yeah, War of the Worlds is definitely not one of my favorite Cruz or Spielberg movies. I think it's okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so when I came across that, I was like, oh yeah. And then it started to click. I'm like, yeah, I totally see that. Uh, so, um, so yeah. Another thing that I noticed just came to mind. Uh, and if you be curious to know if you saw this, so when the credits roll, uh, after they freeze frame on Tom Cruise and Leah Thompson, when he like does his, you know, cheer at the end, um, is before they show the credits, the movie credits, they actually show the music. They show the soundtrack. And not yeah, only okay. do they show the soundtrack, they show like the name of the song and the scene it was played in, which I thought was really unusual. I'd never, I can't think of another movie. That no, I don't know. Either. Yeah, that's not, that's not and, common. I mean, it's, it's not surprising because like when I was talking last week about Streets of Fire, and just how musical that was and how it had a soundtrack and it got two videos uh, on MTV. Like what people who maybe who didn't grow up in the eighties, you know, realize is that movies and MTV were really closely tied where movies back then would try to have some music or some soundtrack that could be turned into a video to, to run on MTV. I mean, it was a great marketing tool. Uh, but it was a great way to kind of capitalize on on movies. And there's tons of music videos in the 80s that are from movies. Um, and so I just thought it was interesting that here it is, like before the, the actual film credits roll, they're showing the music credits and they're showing the different songs and which scenes they were in. But to my knowledge, the movie never had any hits on the radio or on MTV. Um, I mean, they've got some some known musical artists singing songs for the soundtrack, like but Jennifer, nothing, like, no hits, nothing like yeah, that, no hits that I that I can recall. And I looked up, I couldn't find anything that showed uh, that any hits came from it. But anyway, just thought it was interesting that you know it makes sense in the time period in which it came from, but it's like, but it didn't have any hits that got on MTV that I know of. Yeah, that made. They may have not, you know, like, but I mean, that kind of shows you that was still hanging on to that early 80s mantra of making movies to 
just yeah. even a couple of years later, what the difference is of like Back to the Future and how talking to Hugh Lewis about, hey, you know, uh, we need a song for this movie. You know, what can you get us? I mean, it's like the the attitude had probably changed just in, and that shows you just a couple of years, just what it can, what can happen between 82, Absolutely. 82, 83, I guess making the movie in 82, mm-hmm. come out in 83, and then what happens in 85. I mean, that shows you just the difference. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, was there anything else that uh, you noticed watching the film, or anything? Well, I didn't. I noticed, but one of the things I I did read that it's that uh, this is this is cool that in Scream, in the original Scream, the like uh, two of the girls talk about this movie. They mentioned like the love scene in in the in the movie. They said if you oh, yeah. if 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 you if you stop it one hour or whatever, it will show Tom Cruise's. Uh, private yeah, parts yeah. or something yeah, and yeah. between neve campbell and what was the role what was Rose her name McGowan. yes her and uh so i was like oh yeah they did mention this movie and I, so that's kind of like a Got that. yeah you know like a, you know with and with the new scream trailer just dropped scream six trailer just dropped, just today. dropped today um that was so a, i gotta admit kind of, that was a really impressive trailer it, it, i i know we're talking about scream six but it was very impressive i was uh highly impressed with with that after i saw the the trailer for it today after you sent me the the video uh i happened to read something kevin williamson said that um that when he watched the trailer i think he was either talking about the trailer or the actual movie as it was being made because you know he's an executive producer on it he said that he just had a smile on his face he said because they're the the work the people working on this movie like they're really doing some exciting stuff with the franchise and he was really excited about the direction it's going in and i gotta say just watching the trailer it's like you know it's very easy to come to screen going okay here we go again ghost face all right let's see what you got but just the suspense and just the scenes it's like it really it's probably one of the better trailers i've seen in a while where i'm like i want to see this like yeah you know genuinely like this looks like it's going to be good uh so and so it means that since kevin williamson wrote the original screen screen script that means that he was in that 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 this movie would influence him that he actually he actually put a, he actually made reference to this movie in the original screen movie which is which in yeah. itself is iconic absolutely which makes this movie a little bit iconic just because yeah. they make reference to Tom Cruise in mm-hmm. the original screen, yeah. the 96 version. Yeah. Which is cool. You know, uh, one question that I wanted to ask you, uh, could you see this being remade today? For sure. I could see it. I'm just trying to think about how, how I'm just trying to see how they would, how they would play, you know, like what would be the, would you do it the exact same way like Pennsylvania or would you pick someplace else and redo the story? I don't, yeah, yeah that's the whole. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to take the story and just put it into a more contemporary setting just to see. I mean, I think especially, you know, in the years since the movie came out, high school sports, kids going to play college football, like there's a lot there that you could do. Um, just because so much, I think, you know, in the years since the movie, 
there are a lot of stories that have come out, you know, about this, this path for kids and just kind of the dangers that come along with it. And, you know, I could totally see them doing, I mean, I could see them doing a very different take on it. Um, I could see a Tom Cruise playing the coach. (laughs) I mean, you could see it this way. You could, you could see a lifelong, a lifelong high school coach who's, whose dream, I mean, and I'm not saying like he's got to be like right at retirement age, but the fact yeah. that he's been like a 20-year high school coach who wants his dream is to play, his dream is to coach, is to coach college, but he's been successful as a high school coach, but he's, but maybe he's never won the big one kind of deal. Maybe he's always just been, he's always been there, but never won at all. And so maybe his team's always been a team of underdogs, you know, like yeah. the team of Rudy's. Which kind of does, and, and this movie does have a little, a little Rudy esque, you know. You know, I think Rudy probably, you know, that's based on a real story too. But I think this, you know, being a still, I mean, this is, you know, this is very, this, yeah. I, I think mean, there are a lot of there, there, there are a lot of similarities here. It, yeah. I mean, it, it might. Uh, I mean, I could see you potentially doing a. I mean, you could do a remake, almost a sequel, um, where. Steph went on to Cal Poly, became an engineer, and you know maybe this is kind of like the second chapter or the you know third chapter in his life where you know maybe he has a chance to coach a high school football team, even though he's got this engineering background or something, and I don't know, kind of like taking a you know a young player under his wing, you know, and um, it it just does it does make me think though that. You know, Cruz is what 60, 61 now, a very young looking 60. Yeah, very young looking. Um, but it does make me wonder, you know, because I mean he's getting ready to wrap up his uh Mission Impossible franchise, I think, this year yeah. and next year. Yeah, it would be interesting to see him move into roles that are more senior in that, you know, he's playing like the aging football coach or the, you know, some sort of role that isn't the action hero superstar, you know, something that's more of a, like kind of getting back to the acting that he does in this movie. I mean, he's certainly capable of it. I mean, he's, I mean, you look at his career, he's got some really great performances, dramatic performances as well as comedic. Um, But it, it would be interesting to see him, I would like to see him revisit this character, you know, as a grown man, maybe with, you know, a family and kind of like, okay, what happened to him? Uh, But more than that, just to see him do roles where he's doing more of this dramatic work, because I think he's really good at it. Um, So, yeah. So, yeah, this was, I I was really really glad to see this movie again, Uh, you know, um, uh, so far this year, you know, we've done, Blue Thunder and Streets of Fire. And while just like all the right moves, these were movies that were constantly rotated on HBO and Cinemax. So I feel like I've seen them a gazillion times, but of the three, this definitely is, is one of my favorites. Um, And so, uh, so yeah, so glad we had a chance. I think it still relates a little bit. I think it's a little bit more grounded in the reality. Absolutely. And I mean, and not the other ones, I mean, but and and I was about to say it's the best acting, even though I'm not trying to discount that in the other two films. I think yeah, this one just right. has it, it just has a more real life, very believable feel 
to very, it. Very yeah, realistic. So you can relate. It's more relatable than like the dance than the than 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 the last I'll one. Be the, I'll be the first to say because I admit I really you know I mean I had episodes for the other two movies, uh, but the acting in Straits of Fire is not good. It's not good no. at all. Even though I love a lot of the performers in that movie, and then Blue Thunder again, really good actors, but I think it was just kind of a weak script. Yeah, the script um, was all over, so rewritten and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, but yeah, all the right moves definitely. There's so much um, realness to it uh, and believability because it's it's very grounded in reality. That uh, I think it's very identifiable and very relatable. So, uh, yeah. Anything else? Anything else? But I'm trying to think, make sure I want to don't want to leave any stone unturned when it comes to all the right moves. Um, oh, one thing I did read that is that um, that Lee Thompson said that she's 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 supposedly I read this that she said on an ESPN thing when they're talking about this movie, you guess, on sports. Yeah, she says that they never she says they would not film on a sunny day in the in the tank. She says they they always film they that that the director wanted to make sure it was filmed on a bleak because because they really wanted you to believe how bleak the town was and about yeah. it was like it was so so like no filming That's on a sunny insane. day it had to be a had to be a a, a cloudy day or whatever yeah. so i thought it was kind of interesting it that feel yeah because it is it's a very gloomy looking film which, even which is kind of like um the black phone i mean the black phone has that same feel i mean it's yeah. it's very this film the winter always cloudy is rarely ever is there a scene where there's, you know, where there's a lot of sun? Right. No, no blue skies, no sun. Yeah. 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 Uh, it definitely. And I, and I think if you read some of the reviews of all the right moves, the word grim and dark and gloomy often pop up. And I think they usually if attach those words to the story. But what I think it is, is that no, the story is not green, grim. The setting is grim. It's like, it's a very bleak, even, even though some of the landscapes, like some of the, the scenery in the movie, especially I'm thinking about the scene with Leah Thompson and Coach Nickerson's wife when they're walking side by side mm-hmm. on that hill. And even though they're walking towards the steel mill, I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a very rural countryside setting, but it's like, it's just bleak. It's just, it's just gray and, you know, and, and, and I think that just fuels more of the you can understand why Steph wants to get out of this town. Right. And the and what's really they don't really emphasize this, but um, I don't know if you've ever seen Cal Poly in person or been to that area of California, but it is the exact opposite of Pennsylvania. I mean, it's like he's not only going from this dead town to a college career he's going from a really gloomy place to a really sunny you know beautiful um landscape you know in, in cal poly so uh it's a definite nice contrast even though they never show cal poly in the movie um i'm somewhat familiar with that area and it's like yeah it's talk about opposites he's going from one 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 end of the spectrum to the other uh but the um speaking of the reviews though you know most of the reviews uh i think there were some good reviews but they you know some people 
basically said, you know, well, it's it has some good qualities, but it's just kind of a, you know, fantasy or it's just kind of thin or it's cliche or it's stereotypical. And looking at the movie again this week, it's like just another example of I think sometimes critics are don't really give something the attention that it deserves. They look at it and they go, oh, it's a young actor, a young, hot actor, and it's football and it's high school. And they just start to kind of fill in the blanks on there without really considering the movie. They just kind of rush to come up with something that, you know, they either slam on the movie or they, you know, just take pot shots at it or whatever. But um, a lot of the, the reviews that I read, I was, I just felt like, you guys missed the boat. You didn't really get this. I don't think you even really watched it uh, or gave it, you know, time to really think about it. Well, you know, I think they did a good job of, you know, I, I think at the beginning of the movie, there's a little bit more comedy in the sense of there's a little bit of comedy. And I mean, this is not a comedy. I don't think it's a comedy at no, all. It's definitely not a comedy. But at the beginning, you know, they set up like the high school scenes, especially and that's a very memorable scene. And you know where I'm going. Yep. Very memorable scene in, in class when coach's class and that guy's in the back and Tom Cruise has them do the thing where he, you know, he, he lifts the, he lifts the, uh, the desk up mm-hmm. um, with, with his leg. And I'll just say that. <laughs> and, and I remember that. So, so, but and, and Tom Cruise is, is, is you gotta, I mean, it's almost his laugh and everything is like, it's so believable. It's like he's having exactly. a great time with that scene and hits that the scene. And, yeah. So if you're like me, you know, in, in school, when these movies were coming out on HBO and Cinemax, whenever you would go to school, you usually would talk about the movies that you watch. Like, hey, I saw all the right movies last night. That scene is the scene that always, anytime all the right moves came up in conversation at school, that scene is the one that always gets mentioned. That one and then the love scene with Leah Thomas. Of course, yeah. Those are the two and was, scenes. And it was funny. I mean, so, I mean, like I said, the, like the movie's not a funny movie, but that's a funny scene. That's yeah. a great, I mean, yeah. I mean, and I know yeah. it's, I just, and, I and it, it plays a little bit to that Porky's humor a little it bit, does. but mm. just for a little bit, just for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, but it's like, it is believable. And, uh, and, and also, you know, that scene, Coach Nickerson is teaching that class. It's a typing class. And so to me, it's like his character on the one hand, it's like, it's, it's weird. It's like watching the movie now, I find myself feeling more sympathetic to him because like I said, he's just like Steph. He wants to get out of this town and he wants a coaching job with a college with Cal Poly and here he is, you know, in this dead end, dead end town, coaching football. You know, like like his wife says, they both went to NC State, probably had really promising kind of future, like they were going to go places. And here he is coaching football in this dead end town in Pennsylvania and teaching the type the typing class. Like typing I don't class. know about you, but like the co- football coaches that I had as teachers in junior high and high school, like they either taught science or math uh but the the idea of the football coach is teaching typing it's like yeah man that's kind of a slam (laughs) it's like that'd be like what next he's teaching home ec you know yeah what's he got doing teaching typing yeah exactly um 
And it's funny because in that scene, you know, like the look on the coach Nickerson's face, he's he knows what's going on, but he doesn't really do or say anything. I mean, he he, he makes a comment, but he doesn't really like bust Steph or his friends, you know, over because Tom already busted his balls already. So that's why right, he didn't exactly. Bust his- he did all the busting for you. There was no busting yeah. needed. There's no busting to be done. Yeah. But there, there, I will say, Craig T. Nelson must have done his research. I think he must have spent time with actual football, high school football coaches, because there are certain elements of his performance that remind me of some of the football coaches in our high school. Um, just well, that he went on the field. Of, he's very, he's believable. He totally this is. is. Before he did coach, which is, that's more uh, comedy, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you bring up a good point there. Talk about two different, you know, takes versions of coach. Yeah, yeah. played a football coach. Uh, you know, that's another case. So Craig T. Nelson um, is another actor who he's really good at dramatic stuff and he's good at comedic stuff. I mean, he definitely uh, can do both. And so it was kind of cool seeing him in this very serious role. And and I. I've already mentioned it, but just the fact that I felt like something was missing in the relationship between him and Steph in terms of just wishing there had been more scenes with them. Uh, I think it would have really been a great opportunity to to see more of of Nelson and his you know performance, because I think what he does is really good in the movie. Uh, it just I kind of wish there had been more. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to talk about next week. Sure. Let's talk. Yeah. Let's so um, so next week we're going to actually go. We, we we kind of did this one out of order. Uh, next week we're going to do uh, Risky Business, which came out just a couple of months before All the Right Moves, um, which is another thing. It's like, I can't think of many actors. I mean, I know there have been over the years, but I mean, he Cruz was hot after uh, Risky Business came out. I mean, he that propelled him just for that one scene in his underwear. But then you think about two months later, here he is with another movie. Uh, and it's just like this dude was on a rocket that was taken off. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the beginning of everything for him. Uh, but anyway, next week, we're going to be taking a look at Risky Business, also from 1983. And I think. This time we're actually going to do a movie commentary. We haven't done one yeah, in a long time. Great. I was looking at the last one we've done was Adventures in Babysitting last year. So it's been a while. It's wow, it has been. That's yeah, it's been a long time. So I want to see what okay. So okay, look, I'm I'm checking this out to see which movie was going first. So this was filmed in March of 83, all the right moves. It's got March 14th. It's, that's, that's it. It is it's not giving me like a beginning and end date. It just says. It just says that. So this is, and let, let me look up risky business because mm-hmm. that's what I want to see. Cause I'm wondering if this is one of those things where which one was filmed first? Cause it right. almost reminds me a little bit of if this, if risky business was filmed second, but came out first, I wonder if it's kind of like kind of reminded me a little bit of the whole, uh, you know, Michael J. Fox team wolf, like, you know, oh, once yeah. Back to the Future came out and it was hot, people were like, oh, let's put out Team Wolf because because we have Michael J. Fox and Team Wolf. That, yeah. was, that was good. So I'm going to look to see. Uh, give me a second. I'm going to pull that up. But yeah, you keep talking about risky business because that's, I mean, well, I mean, like that's another one that you're, you're correct. It, 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 
it ran on HBO and, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, it's got book, it's got booger from, from, um, from, you know, from remember from revenge of the nerds. Yeah. Um, that's what I know him as. I don't even, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, Rebecca, what Rebecca De Mornay. Oh, Rebecca De Mornay. Oh my goodness. Joe Pantoliano or Joey Pants, as he's known. Well, I was looking at uh, Tom Cruise's filmography. So 1983 was really the the magic year for him because he had four movies that year. He had The Outsiders, Losing It, which was another movie they showed on cable all the time. I don't know if you ever saw that. That's the one about him and his friends going down to Tijuana. They're trying to lose their virginity. Oh, yeah. I saw that one a lot. Billy Long. Yeah. Yeah, that they show that on cable all the time. Um, and then Risky Business and All Right Moves. Oh, excuse me. So yeah, Cruz was on a roll in 1983. No, it was filmed, it was filmed first. Risky Business was filmed first. It was filmed in 82. Yeah, that makes and sense. This is filmed like this is so this movie was filmed about three months after after they completed Risky Business. He was on this movie. So that kind of shows you he went straight from risky business to this. Which is kind of cool. I mean, and you can kind of see it. And not only that, like his, like if you look at his look in Risky Business, he's clean cut, upper class, you know, white bread kind of role. Oh, yeah, playing the whole yeah, preppy boy look. Preppy, from, very yeah. preppy. And then in the Chicago at, suburbs. And then moves, I mean, he looks like he was raised in Pennsylvania in some steel town. I mean, he looks, you know, just the kind of, wet kind of greasy hair yep. you know the the clothing he wears you know just the whole thing like it really is um, oh yeah he had that plaid on at one point in time i saw that it's just like yep yeah so i mean i think even then at that early age and i know from what i've read about him what others have said about him during this time period in fact you just mentioned um the actor that played booger in revenge of the nerds whose name is escaping me right now curtis um, armstrong is that curtis right? armstrong thank you yeah and I, uh, I didn't even look that up, by the way. It just, it just popped in my head finally. Awesome. Uh, Curtis, I believe, wrote his autobiography some time ago, and a few years ago. And he talks about working on Risky Business. And I think he, if I remember correctly, he mentions Cruz's really his commitment to acting. Like even then at that age, like he was very much about acting. And in fact, he he mentioned how during this time period, uh, Cruz hung out with a lot of other actors of his generation, like Sean Penn. Uh, I, I want to say Nicolas Cage. And there's maybe one or two others, but like, cause they were all into acting, right. They were all about the acting craft. And I remember Curtis saying that Cruz definitely was like all in on his acting his performances and that's kind of cool I, I guess we can mention that later but how anthony edwards was in revenge of the nerds with curtis armstrong and he was in top gun with tom cruise there's a little there's a connection there's a little there. kevin bacon connection oh, of a, which which chris penn was in chris penn was in was in oh I mean, footloose Footloose, there we go. Yes, with Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. So there's there's the there's a Kevin Bacon connection back to <clears throat> back to this movie. It's all connected, all connected. And it's funny because 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 they're trying to teach they're they're like they're teaching Chris Penn how to dance, and that's exactly what they do in Footloose. I thought that was hilarious. That was that was kind of a yeah. that was an early early nod to um or 
you know, a foreshadowing of what was to come. The footloose, cut yeah. loose. Another thing that's interesting, um, and we'll talk about this next week with Risky Business. So uh, Risky Business's director uh, is a guy named Paul Brickman. And kind of like Michael Chapman, who directed All the Right Moves, um, not a really long list of films that they directed. Um, I think with um, Chapman, he only went on to do direct a few more films uh, after all the right moves. Um, I want to say he did, uh, let's see, after all the right moves, what was the other one he did? Um, he directed uh, Clan of the Cave Bear with uh, Daryl Hannah. And then he did two other movies after that, and that's it in terms of directing. Hmm. Um, and this movie made money. He went back into cinematography after that, and then he went on uh, to do quite a bit of, of cinematography work. Um, he actually worked on, uh, after he did All the Right Moves, uh, he went on to do cinematography for The Lost Boys. Um, Very cool. Scrooged, uh, Ghostbusters 2. That he worked a lot with Bill Murray. Um, he did Quick Change with Bill Murray. Uh, he also worked on Kindergarten Cop. Doc Hollywood with Michael J. Fox. So um, he is one of those, you know, creative types who he was a cinematographer starting out. He he dabbled in directing, and but he went back to cinematography, which I don't know of many um, cinematographers that that have done that. Usually, by the you know by the time they shift to directing, it's kind of like they're not going back. You know, they're gonna they're gonna continue directing. Uh, but this is the case of somebody who. Who went back to it and you know looking at his track record i mean he's done some really uh great movies so uh and he's worked with some really great directors uh be curious to know um, unfortunately um chapman passed away back in 20 uh he had heart problems but it's kind of interesting to think if he had had the chance would he have directed again um yeah. but uh yeah and then, but going back to Risky Business, uh, Paul Brickman, who's the director of that movie, uh, I don't think he did many films after Risky Business. But yet, you know, it's like these are two directors who had worked with an iconic actor in probably one of that actor's you know, best early films. And uh, they really didn't do anything after that or did much after, at least nothing that reached that level. Um, but we'll talk more about risky business next week and next week can't wait it's gonna be movie. fun i mean really that's going that's a great movie yeah i mean this was good i enjoyed it a lot this was uh this is definitely even better than i remembered actually so Absolutely. And, I, and i and i and and i had pleasant memories of this movie Same but here. this is better than i even remembered it being so you know yeah. the, you know there's times where you you know where you watch a movie and it doesn't live up to what you remember you're kind of like oh it was really it was Kind of like yeah. what we thought about Iron Eagle and stuff like yeah. that. It's kind of like it was for me with Blue, Blue Thunder and uh, In Streets of Fire. I mean, there are things about it I still love, both films, but I don't think they hold up as well today. Yeah, it's definitely still there's there's a lot to this movie that's worth watching. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
You've been listening to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. Thanks for joining us this week for our conversation about all the right moves. Join us next week when we are going back into the Tom Cruise Movie Library for a look at the 1983 Risky Business. This time around, we'll be doing an actual movie commentary. We haven't done one of those in a while, so we're excited about it. We hope you join us next week. For more about the podcast, visit us at Instagram at the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. You can also check out Garrett's YouTube channel, All Things 80s with Garrett. And he's also over on TikTok at All Things 80s with Garrett. Until next time, thanks for listening.